This is the Endurance Church Podcast with Pastor Anthony Bass. At Endurance Church, our goal is to live well and finish strong by becoming faithful disciples of Christ. We do this through loving, disciplined, Bible-based teaching, encouragement, and care. For more information about our ministry, head to endurancechurch.org. And now, today's message. We are at a critical time in our country, in our lives, in the world. There's so much going on. And it's important for us to be able to hear what God's saying. I have a book that I recommend. I'll come up here every now and then and recommend books. Uh, there's an author whose name is Dallas Willard. Uh, he's part of the Renovare movement. So if you ever hear me from the pulpit recommend a book, it's because it's a guy who I, you know, endorse, per se. Um, but Dallas Willard is kind of the same stream we're in. Uh, we're part of the renewal movement. And a renewal movement basically is, in a sense, preparing and equipping people to re-engage their faith. Uh, I went to a seminary that kind of taught on the renewal movement. It's a combination of academics and also charismatic movement. You know, we're not uh, prosperity preachers, and there hasn't been a long history of the charismatic movement, and most people think the the charismatic movement stopped under Constantine uh, as the Catholic Church kind of took over the role of leadership of the church on the earth. Some people believe that the the charismatic or the movement of the Holy Spirit was kind of squelched for a while. And people think around 1901 at Azusa Street, it kind of came back and it's taken all different types of iterations from that time. Uh, but it's Christianity. And we live in a culture where we like to name stuff in order to control it. But it's really just the normal faith. Uh, this is the part of the faith we're a part of. It's We believe in the Bible. We believe in God. We believe in God's Holy Spirit. We believe in the whole thing. Uh, but now we're trying to add the academic element to it. So if you'll see, sometimes we reference the Greek and Hebrew. It's really just so to prove that we have credibility regarding what we're saying because so many people have misconstrued what the scriptures say. Uh, and we've been going through that, I'd say, probably since the 60s. We're on a little bit of history kick right here, but I'll keep going with it. Because during the 60s, um, well, a little bit before that, during the Scopes Monkey Trial, I don't know if you ever remember the Scopes Monkey Trial, where um, evolution was, in a sense, not allowed in the school system. Uh, even though the Christians won that fight, the media so, in a sense, made a jaded depiction of Christianity that evolution eventually did come into school, kicking out uh, creationism from the school system. So in public schools today, we think, oh, of course, evolution is a part of the norm. It, it, like, it wasn't. That wasn't the norm. The norm was creationism was what kids were taught. But once evolution came in, creationism was completely eliminated from the curriculum. And it's been that way for years. 
And some of us have grown up under that influence, thinking that evolution is the only theory out there. But we now know from uh, a man's name, Michael Behe, his book, Darwin's Black Box, he's a molecular biologist. He disproved Darwinism, basically, from a, one term called irreducible complexity. And I'm sorry I'm going up here. I don't try to go up there all the time. But if you, if you ever look up the term irreducible complexity, it disproved evolution. And because of that, our system is now still based upon evolution, even though it's been disproved. We as a culture are still trying to find a worldview we all agree with. So our culture has moved to what we now consider paganism. And paganism is the faith under the old Roman uh, system, that you can worship anything you want to worship. Christianity, in a sense, can't be discriminated against necessarily, but we are one of many views that, in a sense, permeate our culture. The hope with the renewal movement is that we will be able to depict and preach and communicate Christianity in such an appealing way that the culture will come back to Jesus Christ or come to Jesus Christ, depending upon your perspective of that. So as you understand and think through what we are as a church, we're trying to help people understand how to engage their faith and how to change and impact culture, how to change and impact their community. It means some of you all hopefully will be raised up as leaders in, in what we call secular society. Some of you all will be leaders inside the church. Nevertheless, hopefully you influence the culture and our community and the church for good, for God's glory. But today we're going to continue on the topic of the teaching of Jesus, the kingdom of God. We are in April and it's still resurrection month. And we, through the whole month of uh, April, talk about aspects of Jesus Christ's resurrection. Uh, we started off with a Seder meal and we, were, we did that at Molly's home and Don Yvonne so graciously taught the meal and it was excellent for us, a learning experience. Some people may think, well, isn't this a Jewish meal? Yes. However, our faith is Jewish. Hello. Like you have to understand that's why our faith, Jesus Christ was Jewish. Like, hello, the people who wrote the Bible were Jewish, right? And if you have a problem with that, that's a good thing to at least acknowledge you have a problem because God chose the Jewish people for a specific reason to reveal himself on the planet. And they, from the time of Abraham until now, have had to carry the burden of revealing God to the planet. When they prosper, we see God's a good God that honors prosperity. He blesses us with prosperity. But when they stray, they get punished. And they've had to do a lot of that without the filling of the Holy Spirit. Now, since Jesus Christ's resurrection, we have the Holy Spirit, the promise, the blessing. Now, we see the church still struggling, even though we have the Holy Spirit. So we don't look back at the Jews critically and blame them because this is hard. This life is hard. But the point I'm trying to make subtly is that our faith is not ours. It's God's. And God has a purpose and plan using all people in order to honor his name. When we get to heaven, the Bible says every tongue, every race, every nation, every, every one of us will be in heaven because that's God's goal. God is unity and diversity. He is one and many. That's, he created reality as it is. And as God brings people into his kingdom, we are at work with God to do so. And today we're going to talk about uh, I, um, Isaiah and how he continues to preach and prophesy about the Messiah, about Jesus Christ. Anybody here see the movie The Passion of Christ? Anybody? Oh, Really? homework assignment, I ask you to go and watch the movie 
the passion of Christ. I do believe Mel Gibson is making a part two of that uh, right now. Uh, so watch Passion of Christ before number two comes out because we'll all watch that together as a church. But if you understand how much Jesus suffered, then you should be thankful because he suffered so much for us. But Jesus had to suffer the way he did for our salvation. The problem was during Isaiah's time and even during Christ's time, most people thought that when the Messiah came, he would be, as I say over and over, like Arnold Schwarzenegger. They thought he would be like King David, like Chuck Norris. I'll hit somebody. He, right, Chuck Norris worked, right? Okay, so people thought he'd be like Chuck Norris coming back, right? Chuck Norris coming back, he'd be able to defeat all the bad guys by himself like Rambo, Sylvester Stallone, anybody Rambo that may be too old for some of y'all, even Chuck Norris. Who's like, who's a new superhero? Not Batman, not Superman. Anybody? Who? Dwayne, he'd be like Dwayne the Rock Johnson. There we go. I hit, I hit you now. Everybody thought when the Messiah would come, he'd be like, if you smell what the Messiah is cooking, right? But Jesus didn't come like that. He came meek, humble, and lowly. It looked like he was being beat up, picked on. But the truth is he showed us what true strength was. Not because he was able to wield a sword and use it in a variety of different ways, but because he was able to remain faithful to, Christ, to God despite obstacles, opposition. Is that my son or is that a duck? Oh, it's my son. Oh. I, I literally thought there was a duck over there. I said, wait a minute. Am I awake? Is this a dream? <laughs> okay. So despite opposition, Jesus Christ remained faithful until the end. And that's our responsibility. How many have learned this lesson? Even if you're a Christian, things aren't going to work out the way you want. That's normal. That's normal. And a lot of times people are praying for their situation to be lightened, for things to work out the way they want so they can live the life they want instead of praying for the strength to do God's will. It's not our will, it's his will. And people get this message confused. And that's why some people had a hard time receiving the message of the Messiah. Because Jesus came to show us this is what abundant life was. Think about it. Abundant life isn't living high on the hog. It's not about, hey, I got a million dollars in the bank and I got all my bills paid off, even though there's nothing wrong with having millions in the bank or having your bills paid off. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that's not the point. The point is, if you're wealthy or poor, can you remain faithful to God? That's the point. And so many times people misconstrue the purpose of your life, to be a disciple, to worship God, to remain faithful, endurance. Isaiah, he's preaching this message of the Messiah coming. And Isaiah chapter 53 was taken out of a lot of people's Bibles because of this next scripture we're about to read. Why? Because this scripture points to the cross like none other in all the Bible outside of Psalms chapter 22. Here I got a quote by Martin Luther King. He says, the ultimate measure of a man is not where his he stands in moments of comfort and convenience, but where he stands at the times of challenge and controversy. And that's one thing I constantly try to tell people. How do you respond to challenges? 
It doesn't matter what happens to you, my coach used to say. It's how you respond to what happens to you. That's what's most important. When I talk to my kids now, I try to prepare them for the difficult times. Also for times of prosperity. Because Israel strayed from God when things were perfect. That's when they say, oh, we don't need God. We got it all under control. And they all slipped into sin. And then they got oppressed. And then they called out for God for help. And they were back on the hog again. And they all slipped out of, you know, walk with God and fell into sin. This little cycle happened over and over. But I'm here today to tell you that when you're struggling, when things aren't going well, that's when you see what's really inside of you. Isaiah chapter 53, verses 7 throughout 8, it says, He, Jesus, was oppressed and he was afflicted. Now, these are systematic words he's talking about here, Isaiah. Remember, he's still communicating to the, the people of the day in captivity about the Messiah and his life. And he gets to this point, he said, the, the Messiah was, past tense, oppressed. Jesus was oppressed, meaning there was an oppressor who was oppressing Jesus. Even though Jesus was doing everything right. You can do everything right and still get oppressed. That's oftentimes what the Bible tells us not to judge because we don't have all the information. Sometimes we could be like Job's friends. Remember them? Job is going through basically hell on earth. And his friends come up to him and say, well, you must be sinning. Yeah, I'm not sinning. I'm doing everything right. Oh, he says, I wish there was a mediator, somebody who could advocate to God for me because I'm doing everything right. Jesus was oppressed and he was willingly afflicted. Now understand, he allowed all these negative things to happen to him. He had to allow them because why? He had to die for us. Jesus is showing all humanity, if we had God in our clutches, how we would treat him. Well, oftentimes people who fight against oppression, they don't want to be any different than the oppressors. They want to be exactly the same way because it's about power. So if you're being oppressed, you want power so that in a sense you could get revenge. This is not about revenge. This is about redemption. Jesus remained faithful because he had to reveal God to the world. If Jesus at this moment sought revenge, he could have wiped out the entire planet in one second. But he allowed himself to be oppressed. He allowed himself to be afflicted. Jesus was tortured. He allowed it to happen for our sakes. Because Jesus was tortured, therefore, we can find freedom. This is also a point of judgment. Every time throughout the Bible, innocent people were killed, God always judged those group of people every time. Go throughout the entire Bible. You see even Saul's family, a lot of his grandsons were wiped out because of some action Saul did. Every time there's injustice, God always shows up. That was a lesson I had to learn in my life. And I remember people kept treating me. Is there anybody here who has ever been done unjustly? There's probably no feeling as bad on this earth when you're doing the right thing and you get blamed for it. You feel like 
there is something fundamentally wrong with all reality. Even little kids, that's not fair. He got two pieces of jelly bread and I got one. There's this innate sense of justice we all have. Why does it make it so infuriated when we're treated unfairly? Because we think we deserve to be treated fairly. If Jesus Christ is God, who in all reality deserved to be treated fairly like him? Yet, he willingly did this. Now, look at all the other prophets throughout history. None of them faced injustice like Jesus. All of them were accusing and being accused, and they were kind of fighting for the rights. Remember Jeremiah when he was being treated badly? He prayed to God, he get out of it, Lord, don't let me go through this. I'll get killed if I go back there. Like, they were all fighting to get out of this injustice. But Jesus willingly allowed himself to be treated such a way for our sake. And there's a contrast here indicated by literary connective yet, which shows the contrast So there's a contrast between what Jesus, in a sense, went through in contrast to how he responded. Despite Jesus being treated so wrong, despite injustice, he did not open his mouth. And it goes on to give this simile. Whenever you see the word like, it's showing you a simile. Similar to, Jesus was similar to a a lamb that is led to the slaughter. Now, for our minds and our experiences, it's not that familiar because we probably have never seen a lamb led to the slaughter. But for the Jewish people during that day and time, they saw this happen consistently during feast, during Passover, during different events where the lamb was killed for the people. They would see how the lamb would respond in almost a naivete. The lamb didn't know it was about to be killed. It just be going around, oh, la, 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 la. Anybody know the reference right there? Yeah. And then the lamb is butchered. But Jesus knew what was going on. Yet he still responded like a lamb. And like a sheep that is silent before its shears. Someone once told me that when sheep are sheared they don't make a fuss they just sit there and let the little guy cut all the little wool off and the sheep's now naked and the sheep just was sitting there the whole time like nothing now i would be screaming i remember my son joshua you're gonna laugh at this just bear with me he was about two years old when he got his first haircut this is a story you'll never forget so first time joshua he, he lives in virginia now he'll be up here in the next month he was sitting in the chair, and he realized he was about to get a haircut. He was the first one ever, right? So we had to hold him. And he's like, no, 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 just let, let me go. And he goes, Barack Obama. <laughs> he's two years old calling for Obama. That's like Ricky Bobby and Talladega Night saying, help me, Oprah. <laughs> I don't know why he did that. I don't know where he got that from, but he, he, he was not quiet, right? Jesus was quiet. He took it. He didn't scream out for help because he knew that was being faithful to God. So he did not open his mouth. Now, this is the part, this is by oppression and judgment. See, when you look at what happened to Jesus, it was systematic 
injustice. There was a conspiracy to kill the righteous. There was systematic oppression. There was colluding to kill the righteous. The religious leaders got together and devised a strategy to eliminate Jesus. Remember, Jesus was poor, not poor. He was poor. Now, through the wise men, they gave him some money and helped him out, but he was from Nazareth. And we know Nazareth. There's no good thing that comes from Nazareth. It's, it's the hood. It's on the other side of the track. Jesus was from the house and lineage of David. And remember, Jesus' time, the divinic kingdom, the divinic leader, the line, had been put under a blood curse because of an actions of a previous king. So people are looking at Judah, David, all that line as, oh, they're cursed. Forget them. Like, they're, they're, there's no way God's going to use them anymore. But God chose the, to use that line for his glory. So here, there's systematic oppression. Jesus didn't have a large bankroll to use to fight against the religious leaders. He couldn't work through politics to make things happen. He couldn't hire lawyers to get him out of jail. He didn't have that money, nor did he have those resources. Now, could Jesus pray and get out of it? Possibly, because he did say, I can pray right now. My father will send 180 legions to get me out of this. But Jesus, like a lamb, stood quiet, took the pain, and died for you and me. I like this part here. By oppression and judgment, by systematic oppression, a judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation, these are the people who were alive during that day. Who could even consider he was cut off of the land out of living for the transgression of my people to whom the stroke was due? What it's saying there is Jesus is being persecuted torture, oppress systematically. But who will scream out to that generation saying, he's innocent? Who's going to listen to them? Would it be the disciples? He's doing nothing wrong. He's doing this for us. There was nobody alive during that time that could say, he's being treated unfairly. Help him. Nobody would listen. Those yells and screams and pleas fell on deaf ears. Because people wanted to see Jesus' blood. Jesus embarrassed people. He challenged the status quo. He was, in a sense, against evil that had pervaded Israel at that time, its religious leaders. Jesus spoke against it. He was brave, and it cost him his life. But he remained faithful through the storm. And because of his faithfulness, we have life. This is the part I really like. It says, his grave was assigned with wicked men. And why was his grave assigned with wicked men? Do we know? Because he was on the what? He's on the cross. And who was on his right and left? Criminals, thieves, people who were, who were wicked. And when Jesus died, he was going to be thrown in the same place Guinea this is a place where they just stack bodies, and it's just a horrific smelling place like a garbage dump. All the people who were crucified, particularly the poor people, were just tossed in this little graveyard. Lye was covered over them. Maybe some of them were burnt. It was the place of the skull, many people say, because there were so many skulls there, because maggots and worms and all these things were there eating the bodies. And Jesus, if he, he's on the cross with these wicked men, he's going to go to the exact same place. 
Now, this would be a problem for, at this particular time, a Jewish person reading it because if his grave is assigned to wicked men, you know in that during that day and time, if you're a Jewish person and you, and you were a criminal, you couldn't be buried with your family. You, you had to be buried somewhere else. You, now, you would be buried because Jewish people believe in burials, and also Jewish people don't believe in cremation, don't, just so you know that you got to save the bones. Biblically, cremation is not, not in the Bible, just so you know. But here, what it's saying here is he's a son with wicked men. So the grave Jesus would have been thrown into, which he was supposed to go to, was with where all the criminals would go. However, check this out. He was with a rich man in his death. And we know who picked up Jesus' body? Joseph of Arimathea, a rich person who had a grave who had never been used. And he was put in Joseph, a rich man's grave. Now, if you read that way before Jesus Christ's time, you say this is impossible to happen because rich people would never take up a poor person's grave or his cause. Like, uh, rich people would never take up a wicked person's grave or, like, that would never happen. But here, Jesus Christ showed what is an irony turned into a revelation because Jesus was innocent even though he was assigned with the wicked. And because he was innocent, contrast to this, he ended up with a rich man in his death. Why? Because an explanation because he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. Got a couple points that we're done for the day. Point one, enduring injustice well is a sign of godliness. Now, I'm not saying we have to stand and take injustice. I'm saying we have to respond to injustice in a godly way. Because all the while, through the storm of being treated unjustly, God is trying to use you to get glory. Sometimes the, the powers repent of their actions in turn. Other times the power says, we won't repent. We'll be more unjust. And God uses that for judgment. Jesus was used for judgment on Israel that particular day and time. Remember, in the year 70 AD, what happened to Israel? It was destroyed. Jesus prophesied about that. Remember when Jesus was going to the cross, he said, daughter of Jerusalem, don't cry for me. Cry for yourselves. He said, you're about to be going through so much. He said, you're going to say, blessed are those who have never even had a kid who've never even had a baby breastfeeding because they were wiped out completely by the Romans. Sometimes our faithfulness is rewarded in fruit that we see. And sometimes our faithfulness is rewarded in fruit that we won't see in this lifetime. So our responsibility is always to be godly in the face of injustice. Next point, our ability to respond to injustice reveals the content of our character and the quality of our strength. I would love to say that every time I was treated unfairly, I responded well. That is not the case. I remember when I was in third grade, I did this like, what is that? When you try to find words in the sentence, you try to make as many words you can, and I have one. I have like 30 words. And somebody else only had 15, and the teacher gave him the reward. And I was so broken. Why didn't they treat me fairly? Now, I didn't know the words had to spell something. I just made up words as I go. It didn't matter if they made sense. I just thought I could make it words. No one explained to me the whole rule. I'm sorry, Amber. I just thought I could make him any words. <laughs> like Scrabble. I was making up words. I lose every time. But nevertheless, I thought I was being treated fairly. I cried. I remember this girl saw me and said, I've never seen Anthony cry before. And I cried harder. Oh, this is amazing. I can't spell. And then all of a sudden, I'm crying. Oh, I don't think I've ever handled injustice 
properly. I remember playing football and someone, I remember someone just demeaning me in front of everybody. He just did not like me. And I said, forget this. I was on offense at the time. I said, I'm going to go play defense. And he said, oh, go on over there. So I went to play defense to prove this guy wrong who has treated me unfairly. I didn't handle it godly all the time. And when I did well, I was able to put it back in his face. Yeah, I showed you. Huh. And when you do that, God didn't have an opportunity to move because vengeance is, says the Lord. And when we seek vengeance, we get the vengeance that we can give. Like we can't, in a sense, reconcile people when we try to get vengeance our way. We can't be like Charles Bronson and Death Wish. <laughs> oh, yeah, through all reference out. I know. <laughs> Carla, Carla's like, are you bringing that one up here? I'm just trying to say. Like, you can't seek your own justice. Like, you can't be the punisher. Here we go, contemporary. You can't be the punisher. You have to let justice come out like with floods of water, as Martin Luther King said. So our ability to respond to it just reveals the content of a character and the quality of our strength. But I'm getting stronger. I love to say when I'm treated unfairly now, I would do better, but I, it's hard to say that, to be honest. I would love to say that, but that's my prayer, my hope. The more time I spend with Christ, the more I can act like Christ. My hope for you today is that you will spend more time with Christ so you too can respond like Christ to injustice. So we need to understand that enduring justice well is a sign of godliness. We're going to leave here in a couple minutes. And we're going to go about our day, our week, our month, our year. And you're going to be treated unfairly. This uh, past month, I had a situation with my car. You know, I had to bring it up. And I bought a, a car uh, in September, right? And I had a great car. All yeah, I got a car. Finally, now I got, I got eight seats so my, all my kids can sit in there. I'm like, yeah, it's Honda Pilot because you get Hondas. They run forever. Yeah. And the car broke down like for four months in a row. So I took it back to the, uh, not the dealership I got it from, but another dealership close to it. I'm not mentioning names. See, that's a good thing. Took it back to the dealership and uh, thought I'm getting repaired. They're repairing the car. But they're taking advantage of me. They're replacing parts that have already been replaced. They're, they're, they're treating me unfairly. They're, they're, they're treating me wrong. And I come to realize, like, they're doing me wrong. So I talked to a, a gentleman in our church who sells cars, Patrick O'Brien. And I called and said, help me out. And he was able to walk with me through this whole process. We went to the dealership I got the car from, and lo and behold, he was friends with the sales manager of the place I bought the car. So now I'm talking to the sales manager about my car, and he's telling me, oh, they were taking advantage of you. They were doing you wrong. And all the while I'm trying to say, okay, you going to give me a new car? No, no, they're not going to give me a new car. You've got to pay for a new car, right? I, I want a free car. I'm like, no, we're not going to give you a free car. I want free service. No, 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 we're not going to give you free. So I'm like, this car is a lemon. And I put all this money into it, and I owe all this money, and now i got this car. I'm like, I'm in trouble. I don't even know what to do. So Patrick is trying to help me get the best deal. And all of a sudden, I end up talking to um, a, a mechanic who looked at the car. And he said, look, the car runs rough, but you know what? It's good. The last repair you made, the last thousand plus dollars you put in the car, probably was the last time you got to put any money into it. This car right now, without any repairs being done on it, could last you another 100,000 miles. 
So if I come here next week and the car is broken, <laughs> you know it's Patrick's fault. <laughs> but nevertheless, I couldn't go back to the dealership and complain because this man came, the mechanic, and was brutally honest with me. He said, you don't need to put any money into it. If you add anything to this engine, it'll cause extra stress. This engine will blow up. You don't need to put a new engine in it. You don't need to put even money in it. Just drive it. Just get it regularly maintained, and let's hope it works out. That's how I left. Because I can't guarantee the car has almost 200,000 miles on it, right? I thought I was getting a cheap economic. I was, Dave, I was doing my financial peace plan, right? And it blew up my face. <laughs> so you know what next is the Range Rover, babe. <laughs> there That's how justify I get my Range Rover right there. Because it'll last forever. But I was treated unfairly. But I didn't complain or act crazy. I just said, okay. Shook hands. Thanked everybody for the service. Left without getting anything done with the car and prayed, Lord, you know all things. Because either I'm, I'm, being, I'm being used for God's glory at that moment. Because I was treated wrong. They're looking at my life. They're looking at my response. They're looking at me like, is he going to go crazy? Is he going to come up here swinging? Like, what's he going to do? And I just, no, I just acted like Christ. Like a lamb being led to the slaughter. And I think they said the, the, the name of the, <laughs> the name, <laughs> Patrick, okay, so we'll let that later. Uh, the name of the part they were, was going to replace was called the fool's valve. That's what I thought it was called. That's what it indicated to me. Oh, no, they're tricking me. Something's not right. I caught on that word right there. <laughs> so here's the point. Why do we need to be faithful? Why do we need to be faithful during the midst of trials, tribulations, struggles? We need to be faithful so we can feel God's love to the world. God took it. For those people who were beating him. He, he was treated unfairly for the people who were killing him. In your life, you're going to be treated unfairly for somebody. Who is the very person who's treating you unfairly. And God called you for that person. That's when you need the Holy Spirit at that moment. Yes, you can turn around and swing on people. You can do that. Get your justice. But there will be no salvation because of that. No redemption. God's trying to use you. Let him use you. Last point, and I'm done. Jesus' life shows us how we should live. So we should live like Jesus. Can I pray for you this morning? Can I bow our heads? Lord, I know today's message was a difficult one. But you, you, you took the pain for us. You hung on the cross, Lord, for us. You knew that day and time was coming. You knew what it would be like. You knew how it would feel. But yet you did not run from the pain, the fear, the shame, the embarrassment. All those things that seem to plague us on a moment-by-moment basis, Lord. You stayed faithful until the end. So we ask you today, Lord God, give us that same grace to be faithful just like Jesus. We know it's already in us, Lord. Help us activate it. Help us utilize it. Lord God, we've missed it so many times. We've, we've sought our own justice with our own hands. We've tried to act like the Punisher or Judge Dredd, Father God. We, we've tried to act like our Batman. We, we've tried to act like a crazy Superman. We've tried to act like people who, with our own strength and our own power, seek revenge for what was done wrong to us. But you ask us not to seek revenge. You ask us to seek justice. So give us wisdom, Lord God, to seek justice the way you want us to seek justice. We failed you time and time again in this area, Father God. 
Some of us won't even consider this, Lord. I pray, Lord God, supernaturally, you just empower us, encourage us, do what gives you glory. This has been a presentation of Endurance Church. For more about the ministry, head to endurancechurch.org. Follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash endurancechurch and like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash endurancechurch.tv. Remember to live well and finish strong. Living flame of love, come baptize us.